Hey, if you have a copy of the scriptures, open up with me to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to close out the fourth chapter of Galatians today. Um, as you're turning there, just a, a funny story about a month ago, a month and a half ago, um, I was at coffee with a friend of mine and he invited me. Uh, he said, hey, do you want to go to a birthday party for a stranger? I was like, yeah, why not? And uh, so last night, Liz and I, just, just God's sense of humor, we ended up at a birthday party. It was actually not a 50th, a 45th birthday party for a Pakistani Muslim that we'd never met before. And uh, just God's humor in all of that. So we, we arrived at this birthday party. There are 150 people. I don't know any of them. We go. We sit at this table. Thankfully, we knew one person sitting at the table with us. But it was so awkward because the gentleman whose party it was for, he came in and he was surprised and he was so excited. And he comes up to our table and he walks up to me and he's like, hey, man, it's so good to see you. And I'm like, it's good to see you too, bro. Happy birthday. Thank you for having us today. He's like, man, I'm so glad you guys could be here for my party. I'm like... I don't know you, but I'm so glad we could be here too. But man, here's God's humor in all of this. Uh, so we made some connections with some, some folks there that we wouldn't have known otherwise. But uh, I ask that you pray for my friend Mohammed. He was actually one of the photographers. He was the nephew of the gentleman whose birthday party it was. And we connected. I saw him taking photos and I recognized him from the gym that I work out at here in Powell. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, bro, I said, do you work out at LA Fitness? He said, I do. You do too. I said, I do. He's like, dude, let's get a workout this week. And uh, so in God's just humor, we show up at a birthday party for strangers, but I connected with this young man who's a practicing Muslim, and we're going to start working out together this week. And so I just asked, man, pray for us. Like, I don't know why God recently has been giving us favor with so many different cultures and religious backgrounds, but we're going to take advantage of them and take Jesus with us anywhere and everywhere we go. All right? Hey, copy of God's Word, Galatians chapter 4. If you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's Word, we're going to close out this chapter this morning, starting in verse 21. If you remember last week, Paul had kind of a little table talk with the Galatian believers, but now he gets back into the meat of this discussion of that salvation is found in Jesus alone. Starting in verse 21, here's what Paul says. He says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through promise. These things are being taken figuratively, for the woman represent or the women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. If you're reading this so far and going, oh, Paul, I have no idea what you're talking about. I promise this will make sense in just a few moments. Verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother, for it is written, rejoice childless woman, unable to give birth, burst into song and shout, you who are in labor, for the children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now you too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. Verse 29, but just as then the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the Spirit, so also now. Verse 30, but what does the Scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Verse 31, therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of a free woman. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, God. I, I just uh, praise you, Lord, for this journey that you've taken us on in Galatians. God, will we never forget the salvation is found in Jesus. 
God, I pray that you would bring clarity to what may seem confusing in these verses this morning. Lord, help us to understand what you wrote to the Galatian church. God, would you draw us closer to Jesus today? Give us ears to hear from you. God, hearts to receive a word from the throne room of heaven, Lord, and hands and feet to live this out, that simple truth that Jesus saves. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, one of my favorite versions of the Bible, aside from, people ask me this all the time, hey, Aaron, what version of the Bible do you, do you teach from? It's the Christian Standard Bible. But uh, one of my other favorite versions of the Bible is this one right here. If you've never seen this before, this is the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you don't have one of these, I don't care if you're grown folk in the room, uh, you need to get one of these Jesus Storybooks Bibles because this is one of the greatest translations that you'll ever read. It's not really a translation, it's just a story of the scriptures. And here's what I love about the Jesus Storybook Bible is what makes this Bible unique is from cover to cover, the author of this book shows you how every story in the scripture points back to Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation and every story in between, every story in this book and in the scriptures points back to Jesus. Let me read to you the back of this to help you make sense of this. It says, at the center of the story, that's God's overarching story of the scriptures, there's a baby, that's Jesus, the child upon whom everything would depend. From Noah to Moses to King David, every story whispers the name of Jesus. Jesus is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. You see, when you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, one of the goals of Scripture is that you see the narrative of Scripture is not about us. The narrative of Scripture in its entirety is completely around Jesus. And in God's sovereignty, using all of these historical events, especially in the Old Testament, God used these historical events, and every single one of them points back to Jesus and his coming, the Messiah that would some come, someday come to save God's people from their sins. I want to give you a technical theological word. If you're a note taker, I want you to write this word down. It's the word typology. I think it'll be up there for us. The word typology. Because that's what we're looking at today in this next section of Galatians chapter 4. And typology simply means that in the Old Testament that there were figures and moments in history that pointed to the coming of Jesus there were figures and moments in history that pointed to salvation being found in Jesus, that pointed to this real individual known as Jesus Christ, the Son of God who left the throne room of heaven, came to earth as a human being, and died for our sins. It's typology. It's these types of Christ. Let me give you a few examples of this. Genesis chapter 6 and 7. You don't have to turn there. In Genesis chapter 6 and 7, we see a real historical event that took place known as the global flood. That wasn't some allegorical thing. That wasn't symbolic thing. No, God literally flooded the entire earth to destroy uh, mankind because of our sinfulness. Our sinfulness brought about God's wrath on the earth. But God spared eight people as a result of a man named Noah's faithfulness and sheltered them inside of the ark, sheltered from the wrath of God. And the story of Noah's ark is actually a typology or a symbol of salvation. Let me explain how. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. You can turn there, you can just write that down. It actually says that Noah's ark was a picture of baptism. How so? 
What is, what is baptism? Baptism is a public profession of an inward decision. It's when I've put my faith in Jesus Christ to protect me or shelter me from the wrath of God. When I give my life to Jesus, repent of my sins, and put my faith in Jesus Christ, now because of Jesus, I'm sheltered from the wrath of God. Jesus absorbed God's wrath for me, just as the ark absorbed the wrath of God and protected those eight people. Jesus absorbs the wrath of God and protects me from God's, God's wrath. He protects me from it. It's a typology. Let me give you a few other examples of this. I want to make sure we understand this here. Um, David and Goliath. Oh, this is a pet peeve of mine. I'm going to go ahead and say, it. we're not David. We're all on the same page there. Like, that's a big thing right now. You're David. Fight your giants. Stop that. That's, that's silly. You're not David, okay? David is a type of Jesus, Jesus, right? So David standing before Goliath. Goliath is the sin problem that we had. As Matt Chandler, a pastor out of Texas, once said, um, if we're anybody in the story of David and Goliath, we're the Israelites on the hill cowering in fear because we can't do anything about the giants that we face. No, no, no. We need the, the unassuming Savior to step into the story and to defeat the giant of sin that we have. All right, so David was a picture, a typology of Jesus. I'm going to say that one more time for us real quick. You're not David. Are we all on the same page there? We're not David. You don't have a giant that you need to defeat. You need to give your heart to Jesus, and Jesus defeats giants. We're all, all right, cool. Somebody should say amen, but I guess you won't. The Passover lamb. Thank you. My goodness. I'm going to have to throw a shoe at somebody this morning. The Passover lamb, Exodus. Remember the Exodus, the, the nation of Israel is getting ready to leave, and there's all these plagues against Pharaoh. And the angel of death is going to come through and destroy the firstborn. But what does God say to do? God says you take the blood of a lamb, and you put it on the doorpost. And when the angel of death comes, it will pass over your house. It's a picture of Jesus. Why? Because the blood of Jesus shed on a cross covers our sins, so that when the wrath of God comes against us, it passes over us. We don't have to absorb it. We don't have to incur death. No, no, no. We are born once, born again, and then we never die. It's incredible. But if you don't know Jesus, you're only born once, and then you're going to die physically and spiritually for all of eternity. The Passover lamb is a picture of Jesus Christ. You see the typology in Scripture? We could go through story after story after story. But what does Paul do with us today? Paul continues using typology here in Galatians to this Old Testament story to show us this New Testament reality of salvation found in Jesus. And he does it using a guy named Abraham and his two sons. Two competing thoughts here. One is salvation being attempted to be earned through self-effort or salvation as the free gift of Jesus. I want to give you three quick points uh, if you want to write these down. First off, Paul highlights two covenants. This is so critical. Two covenants. Look at verse 21 real quick, and I'll show you how we get to the two covenants. Paul starts off. So he's, again, he's just had his table talk with the Galatians. Now Paul picks the gloves back on. He's wrapping his wrists up again. He's like, all right, but boys and girls, we're getting ready to go after it again. Look what he says in verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? Remember, the Galatians were under the influence of the Judaizers. They had been set free from paganism. And now they were choosing to place themselves under the law of Moses rather than resting in the free gift that is found in salvation through Jesus. And Paul puts the gloves back on. He's like, he's like, y'all, let me just check with you real quick. Do you know what you're doing? Do you understand what you're doing? 
You're going to place yourselves under the law of Moses, which Jesus has already fulfilled. Do you all get it? Are we on the same page? He stands up from the table, flips the thing over. He's like, let me ask you one more time. Do you understand what you are doing here? And I don't think the Galatians fully did. These were Gentiles, not Jewish people. The Judaizers had come in and sweet-talked him into doing this. And Paul's like, all right, let's just bring a little bit of clarity here. Let's look back at some Old Testament Jewish figures. I want you to understand this. Paul first addresses two covenants. Look at verse 22, Galatians chapter 4. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. So the typology here that we're seeing is Abraham, his two sons, and how they're reflective of Jesus. Let's go back on the story. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. God calls Abraham out of paganism to follow him. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, what does God do? He says, all right, if you, you follow me into this unknown land, this unknown place, your descendants will ultimately be a blessing to the entire earth. Someday you will have children upon children upon children, and they will be a blessing to the entire earth. It was pointing to Jesus. Now, a couple problems here with this blessing that God tells Abraham. Abraham, at this point in the story in Genesis chapter 12, is 75 years old. His wife, Sarah, is 66 years old. God tells them both, you're going to have babies. Y'all see a problem with that? Not an expert. Probably doesn't work. <laughs> All right? 75, 66 years old. Not only that, we read earlier in Genesis chapter 11 that his wife Sarah was barren, meaning her womb was closed. She was unable to have children. So not only was age a factor for them, but also she was barren. She didn't have the ability to have children. Yet God promises them, someday you will have descendants more numerous than you can count that will be a blessing to the entire earth. The promise doesn't make sense. Then you fast forward a little bit to Genesis chapter 15. Abraham is now 86 years old. 11 years have passed. His wife, Sarah, is 77 years old. God comes to him, Genesis 15, verses 5 and 6, and says it again. Um, you're going to have like, descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky. So many descendants that you could never even count them. A couple things. 86, 77, not the ideal time to have babies. Not only that, Sarah is still barren. So what does Sarah do? They, they hear the promise from God, but they decide, you know what? We're going to take things into our own hands. You see yourself in that story at all? God, I know what you said, but I'm going to do it my way instead. I know what you said, but my way is better. Can I tell you something? Your way is never better than God's way. Trust God's promise even when the outcome doesn't seem possible. God always makes a way when it's his way. Trust him. Now watch what happens here. They take things into their own hands. Sarah says, I'm barren, but God said we were supposed to have descendants. So she goes and gets her servant, Hagar. She gives Hagar to Abraham. Hagar ends up conceiving and gives birth to a son, Genesis chapter 16, named Ishmael. You've probably heard that name before. Look again at Galatians 4.22. Abraham had two sons, one by a slave. That was Ishmael. They took things into their own hands, tried to fulfill God's promise on their own, and they had a son from a slave named Ishmael. Fast forward 14 more years. Genesis chapter 21. Abraham is 100 years old. His wife, Sarah, is 91 years old. 25 years after God made the initial promise to them, he comes through on his promise. And despite being 100 and one of them, 100, 191, God comes through on the promise, and they actually miraculously have a son named Isaac. 
Galatians 4.22, when Paul writes the son of the free woman, he's referring to Isaac. So again, I'm going to reiterate this again because I want us to be on the same page here. Two sons, Ishmael, Galatians 4.22, is the son of the slave. Isaac referred to as the son of the free woman. And then look at verse 23 of Galatians chapter 4. Paul goes on to kind of explain this a little bit more for us. Look what he says. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born as a result of, born through the promise. You see two competing thoughts here. Ishmael was born because Abraham and Sarah said, you know what, God, we know what you said, but we're going to do it on our own. We know what you promised, but we're going to take this into our own hands. We'll take care of it, God. We'll take care of the outcome. You just do your thing. God, we, we got this. The other one was Sarah. With Sarah, it was like, God, we're going to trust the promise. We're going to believe that you're going to open her womb. God, we're going to trust you for this. And the outcome is totally and completely in your hands. Two competing thoughts, two competing actions. And Paul shows us right here, they're actually pictures, typologies of two competing covenants. These are so important here. Look at verse 24. These things are to be taken figuratively. Again, Paul's explaining what he's talking to me. He says, for the women, they represent two covenants. These are two competing thoughts. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is, this is Hagar. So, so what are the two covenants here? Write these down in your Bible. Write these down in your notebook, however you do this thing. The two competing covenants are, number one, you can either trust Jesus for your salvation, trust the promise of God, or you can take salvation into your own hands, trust in your own religious efforts, and try to do it on your own. Those are the two competing thoughts here. But what's even deeper than this is this is Paul kind of taking a hammer to the Judaizers. The Judaizers were Jewish from the line of Isaac. They took pride in that. Father Abraham. Y'all remember that song? Father Abraham had many sons. If you didn't grow up in church, that was weird for you. All right? But they, they took pride in that. We're from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I took pride in that as a, a Jewish person, as an Israelite. But what's Paul doing here? He says, actually, symbolically, if you still trust in your own self-efforts in adhering to the law of Moses, you're actually more like you're from the line of Ishmael, the son of the slave girl. I mean, Paul's taking a hammer to the Judaizers and going, guys, this is terrible stuff that you're making these Galatians believe. Why, why would you do this? He's asking the Galatians, he says, are you going to ignore the free grace of God and exchange chains for chains? God freed you from a life of paganism into the freedom that Jesus offers, which we're going to look at in Galatians chapter 5. But you're choosing now to remain in slavery by believing that the law of Moses can somehow save you if you just keep enough of it? What is wrong with you? Slavery or grace? Those are your only two options. Friends, this is so applicable for us today. I've continued to ask myself this question this week. How often do I get stuck in a routine of religious effort somehow thinking that that impresses God? God is not impressed with religion God is not impressed that somehow that you woke up this morning despite being tired and drug yourself to church. He's not sitting in heaven going, oh, yes, man, I'm so proud. He's not doing that. God's not pumped that you got up tomorrow and you read your Bible over a cup of coffee and a scone. He's not calling the angels together and come over here and look at them. I'm so proud. He's not doing that. That doesn't impress God. You know what impresses God? A bloodied son on a cross bearing his wrath. 
the resurrected Jesus at his right hand. That's what impresses God. And then when we understand that and we, we live in that and we go, I am nothing. The Old Testament says that my righteous works are like filthy rags in comparison to Jesus. When I understand my position in comparison to Jesus, it changes things. I live from the abundance of being a recipient of the free grace that Jesus offered me. I don't do religious activity to impress God. I do religious activity because I love God and I've received so much grace. I don't come to church and somehow thinking that God thinks I'm incredible. I come to church because I've received salvation that Jesus offers and I have to sing about it. I want to talk about it. I want to be in the fellowship of the saints. I don't read my Bible every morning somehow thinking that God is impressed by my religious duty. No, no, no. I read the scriptures every morning because I want to know more about and fall deeper in love with the Jesus who saved me. God's not impressed with my religion at all. He's impressed with Jesus. There's a difference here. There's two covenants. Then Paul goes on to say that there's, there's two competing cities. Because each of these, these children represent two cities. Look at verse 25. Now Hagar represents Mount Sinai. That's where Moses received the law. And corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. So what's the first city here? It's the city of Jerusalem. You could write that down or circle that there in your Bible. Jerusalem at this time when Paul is penning this letter was the center of Judaism. It was the center of the law of Moses that was received in Exodus 19 and 20 at Mount Sinai. Let's simplify it even more. Jerusalem at this time was the center of self-righteous effort to somehow get right with God. It was following the law as an avenue of salvation. And Paul says, no, 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 that's not what we want to do. When you identify with that, you identify with that Jerusalem, with self-effort. But Paul says there's a, another Jerusalem that you can identify with. Now look at what he goes on to say here in verse, verse 26. But the Jerusalem from above is free. I love that phrase. You have this Jerusalem over here, this, this center of self-effort and law and Judaism. But Paul says in verse 26, there's, there's another Jerusalem that's present. And this Jerusalem is from above. This one is free. These are the sons and daughters of Sarah. You say, what's that Jerusalem from above? Y'all, I got good news for you. Y'all ready for this? Someday. Did anybody catch that Space Jam reference? All right. Just, I got to make sure you're paying attention. Someday, this earth that we now exist in will be destroyed. And I'm really thankful for that. There is so much muck, gunk, and garbage in this world that we now exist in that someday God is going to take home his, his children and we will dwell in the presence of our Jesus God will destroy all of this that we now currently exist in. And my Bible says in Revelation 21 that he will recreate it all in a perfect setting. He will recreate it as, as Eden was intended to be. And in that recreation, the Bible says that he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. This won't exist. It's going to be new. Praise Jesus. But part of the new earth in Revelation 21, check this out. I love this. Revelation 21, 1 and 2. John says, I, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So God gave John these binoculars into the, through the corridors of time to see thousands of years into the future. He says this new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Peter says that it's going to be melted like a wax crown. I love that. It's going to be gone. The gunk and the garbage, gone. Cast into the lake of fire for all eternity, it's gone. 
Jesus presses reset. The sea was no more. So he's created this new heaven and this new earth. And then look at what happens. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem. A new Jerusalem come from where? Coming down out of heaven. What did Paul say in Galatians 4.26? A city from above. A city from above that is free. No longer a Jerusalem that is bound to the chains of legalism and law. No, no, no. That Jerusalem will pass away. That Jerusalem will pass away. But those of us who have put our faith in Jesus and trust Jesus for our, our salvation, we identify with a new Jerusalem. A Jerusalem that will come down from heaven. A Jerusalem where the insignia on the gate is salvation is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. You don't get to come in because of anything you did. You come in because the king on the throne in that city said you could. That's why we get to go there. So Paul's saying, hey, uh, Galatians, you have an, an option. You can identify with Hagar, the child of the slave, self-effort for your salvation, and the center of Judaism here, this current Jerusalem. Or you can identify with Sarah. You can identify with Isaac. You can identify with the child of the promise in this Jerusalem that is to come, where you believe and trust in Jesus for your salvation. Lastly, Paul says here to these guys that there's also a big gap between two religions. So these are just continuing to build off each other. Ishmael, Jerusalem, Judaism. Isaac, New Jerusalem, Christianity. Which ones do you want to identify with? Judaism, Christianity, law and self-effort, grace in Jesus. Which one do you want? Verse 27 He's quoting Isaiah 54, verse 1. He says, For it is written, Rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shout, You who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. What's Paul telling us here? There's so, so much complexities in here that I hope this at least gives you a, a little bit of clarity into Paul's thought process here. We could have spent five weeks on just these 10 verses right here. Paul's reminding them that God came through on his promise. That although Sarah was a desolate, childless woman whose womb had been closed, that God still blessed her miraculously with Isaac. And from the line of Isaac, we see in Matthew chapter 1 that the world was blessed with Jesus. And if we choose to identify with Jesus, we are now the spiritual children of Sarah. Let me put that in modern terms for you. Because of Jesus, this exists. Because of Jesus, the church global exists. Because of Jesus, in Acts chapter 1, it went from 120 people sitting in a room praying that the Spirit of God would fall down upon them to just about one chapter later, 3,120 people made up the church of Jesus Christ. Fast forward 2,000 years, you're looking at a church that numbers close to 2.2 billion people on planet Earth. Why is that? Because God told a man named Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, if you'll just trust me a little bit, I can do something that you could never imagine despite your circumstances. Just trust me. Just trust me. I'm a promise keeper. All of a sudden, you have a child named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob, 12 tribes of Israel. The blessings of the earth flowing from the lineage of Abraham. From those people, Jesus comes. And when we put our faith in Jesus, not in our own self-effort, we can be also the spiritual children of Sarah. Now look at what's going on here. Last, last couple of verses, verse 29. But just as the child born as a result of the flesh, that was Ishmael, persecuted the one born as a result of the spirit, that was Isaac, so also now. What are you talking about here in Genesis chapter 21? The day that Isaac was weaned from his mother, 
The Bible actually says in Genesis chapter 1, he was probably about two years old, that his, his teenage brother Ishmael, who was 16 years old, started mocking him. I'm not sure exactly how that went down, but culturally that was a big deal. By the way, if you're 16 years old and you mock a two-year-old, you're a sissy. Stop it. All right? I don't even know what's going on in this story. This is crazy. But this was culturally significant to the point where Abraham tells, or tells Hagar and Ishmael, like, go. You're, you're out of the family. You are sent away. You're not even part of this anymore. And Paul says, till today, the tension between Christians and Jews still exists because it's competing ideologies. We believe salvation's found in Jesus. They believe that you still need to follow the law. Paul says, bro, you're free in Christ. It's all about Jesus. And the tension is still going to be there. It was happening in the Galatians church. That's why the Judaizers showed up. Paul said, salvation in Jesus. Judaizers said, law of Moses. Paul said, let me get the gloves on. I'm going to make sure you understand this. It's Jesus, Jesus, only Jesus, always Jesus, forever Jesus. One more verse. Y'all, y'all need to get worked up. Somebody's going to get their Starbucks today. I don't know what's wrong with y'all. I'm about to throw a fit. I'm sure the people online are standing up in their couches, flipping cushions, going nuts. Y'all are in here like, yes, we agree with that. That's wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful. Praise Jesus, weirdos. One more verse, summary statement. Paul says, brothers and sisters, I love that he addresses them like that still. That's important. He says, brothers and sisters, you're not children of the slave. You're not. He, he makes a, a, a declaration essentially over these people. You are not children of the slave. Because you, you don't really believe that your, your righteous efforts are what gets you to heaven. Instead, what is it? He says, you're, you're children of Sarah. You believe salvation is found in Jesus. What was his opening question? Do you remember what he said? Do you understand what you're doing? Galatians, do you really understand what, what you're doing? Your religious efforts do not impress God. Trust Jesus for your salvation. God is not impressed by anything we do in the religious sphere. He's totally and completely satisfied and impressed with Jesus. And I just live from the overflow and the abundance of that. It's because of Jesus I have a relationship with God. It's because of Jesus I live, work, and breathe. It's because of Jesus we do what we do. It's all completely about Jesus. So the last question for us today is this, as we close out chapter four. Next week, we get really into the, the weeds of what it looks like to walk with the Spirit because of Jesus. But the question is simply this. Have you actually confidently accepted Jesus as the author of your salvation? Or are you still depending upon yourself in some capacities to somehow impress God? When you stand before the judgment throne of God someday, you've probably heard this question before, and Jesus asks you, or God asks you the question, why should I let you into this heaven? By what merit did you arrive? If that statement starts off with a personal pronoun involving you, it's wrong. It's never, I did this, I said this, I did nothing. It's never. If the statement starts with you, that's your own self-righteous effort. It's all about you. But when God asks you that question, what would allow you into this heaven that I've created for my children? The answer is simply this, Jesus. Jesus did on the cross what Jesus has done. That's the merit in which I come in. I leave Aaron at the gate and I come in on the merit of Jesus. Have you trusted Jesus for your salvation? We're separated sinners from a holy God and the only opportunity that we have for a restored relationship with him is Jesus because of what he did on the cross.
Friends, I'm begging you this morning. Paul, Paul talks about this idea in 2 Corinthians, be reconciled to God. We plead, we plead as ambassadors of Jesus. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you can confidently say that you have given your life wholeheartedly to him, can I invite you to do that this morning? You simply cry out to me and say, Jesus, I need you to save me. That's all it takes. And by the authority of God's word, that Jesus takes up residence in your life and changes you from the inside out. And it's no longer based on your effort and your merits. It's all Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, we have emphasized this over and over and over, that salvation is in Jesus. But we can't say it enough. We can't say it enough. God, would you continue to mold in our hearts an understanding that without Jesus, we are utterly and completely hopeless. But because of Jesus, we have a hope, we have a future, and we have a relationship with the creator of the universe. God, thank you so much for inviting us into your family. May we never get caught up in this wave of self-effort, but may we always and continually rest in the finished work of Jesus on the cross for each one of us. God, I pray as we sing now that our voices echo through the throne room of heaven, giving you the praise that only you deserve. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray these things. Amen.